good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and hi for listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. And thank you so much for joining us. Once again, hope you guys are particularly being safe out there at the pandemic and, and whatnot. And how are you, my man? Ah, just hanging in there, man. Just hanging. Just uh, watching this little, little hur- hurricane roll through us today. Oh, yeah, you guys, yeah. We had, like, the East I- Isiosis. I, I was going to say isosceles. But, but yeah, we had a kind of a little scare, but it turned. But how's it? So has, has it hit you guys hard up there, or is it a So we actually, of, uh, I had a couple tornadoes that, uh, that touched down, like, like five ten minutes away from my house and the other side of town i'm good but i know some people are uh, are homeless right now so it sucks for them i feel bad for them all that stuff and uh but yeah no i fared out okay i had a power flicker a couple times and you know of course over the weekend everyone was panicked out and you know uh getting all prepped and everything and i was with a couple of my friends up here and they're like you know you're from florida you know uh you know, you should be concerned about this. Like, you know, what do you guys do for hurricanes? And I said, look, man, if it ain't a Category 3, I ain't even I ain't even wasting my time. I was like, at the point when it gets Category 2, I'll stock up on some liquor. And then, you know, maybe I'll uh, put a towel down in front of the door. But outside of that, A, I'm in an apartment, so I don't give a shit. And B, it ain't even a Category 3. So we're going to get a little bit of wind, maybe a tree knocked down. No big deal. But, yeah, we did get some uh, some tornadoes. So I feel bad for those folks. But everything else, you know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, everything was all right. Yeah, because down here, like it was, it, it was kind of the same thing that was going on up there down here. But like I think, like you say the point, like when you've been in Florida your whole life, like I was born and raised here. So like you say to me, I will, I remember back when we were in high school. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember, we had those like back to back to back. Oh to back. yeah, it was uh, it was like our sophomore year. We had like three hurricanes in in the month of August. It really it really pissed on my right in my uh my birthday month. It really it really ruined it for me. Because it was like it was kind of like the bulls through like it was like back to back to back. Well, not yeah. in back to back. We got we got Chicago but, with hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, we did. I mean, take your pick of who was Jordan, who was Scotty, who was Robin. Take your pick of which. And I remember that, and I was talking to someone about that. I said, I remember that when we were in high school. And I tell people, I'm like, I remember, like, we were so pumped because, like, we had, like, days, like, because you have to make up those days, obviously, down yeah, here. Yeah, that was miserable. Yeah. And it's, like, the days we had to, like, oh, great, we're going to get out. Like, ah, da, 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 da. So it's, like, great. But I tell people, before we get started, like, the one thing about the hurricanes is, like, the point that you make, Chris, like, to me, when you live down here long enough, it's it's an expectation like you know, you don't panic you don't worry because like you have those who come from out of town who come during hurricane season and they're like buying like loads of like boards and shutters and toilet paper <laughs> toilet paper yeah and it's like but I never got I'm like I made this point before we get started I I made this point on social media what were you guys doing what, what like what were you guys doing before toilet paper. Because all of a sudden, you see chums who never bought toilet paper in their life. That's how you can tell people who know how to shop and who, who don't know how to shop. Because I was always raised that, hey, it's better. I think I, I said on the show, it's better to have it than don't need it and need it and don't have it. That's always been a life philosophy of mine. If I go to the store, Chris, and I'm like, well, I know at the house I got about three or four packs, you know, like maybe the uh, like the six or the ones that come in the 12 pack, you know, yeah. those. 
but like if I'm in the store and if it's, if it's like two bucks, like I'll, I'll grab it. Like well, like I tell people, it's better to have it and don't need it, and even then don't have it. I think you and it, to me, I, that's the philosophy I personally live by. Because and, and speaking of living by that need it and don't have it, have it and don't need philosophy. I think basketball, first time we talk about basketball on the show, it's like we, we need it when we didn't have it. So, so, so let's just jump into, I don't know how much basketball you've had to watch. Uh, you know, over. so I watched a little bit of, I want to say it was the, the Sixers and I want to say they were playing Denver on Saturday. They had that up on the screen. Uh, while I was uh, I, I was out watching the Yankees and Red Sox game, and so they had that mm-hmm. on the screen next to the ball. So I, I was kind of paying, but I mean, you know my feelings on basketball, though. So this this section, so I mean, full disclosure, personally for me, I think basketball has just had a slow, miserable death, and LeBron James is only making it worse with all of his bitching and crying. And it seems like if you don't play in the Western Conference, you honestly shouldn't even bother trying to go to a national title game. So I'm gonna let you personally handle this. Now, if we start talking like '90s basketball, we start talking about like the Bulls and the Knicks and the Supersonics. You know, I, I might intervene, but this one I'm gonna, I'm gonna 100% let you handle. So if if I talk about this Knicks, would you talk about that? The Knicks are fucking terrible. Listen, they're absolute <laughs> garbage. They're garbage. Well, yeah. They need to be taken. And, and take the New York Knicks and take Bill de Blasio and put them in a giant fucking garbage can and roll God. them down the Brooklyn Bridge in front of a truck, and I would be happy. That's what I think about the Knicks right now. You know, before I, before I jump into to the, the basketball, I think I've said this on the show. I think it was before you came on the code. I talked about the organization, Chris, and I talked about the top-bottom philosophy. Like, when James Dolan took over this team, the team had promise. Let's be clear. The team had promise. When you hire guys like Isaiah Thomas to run your team, it's essentially that – I'll use a historical context. It was Hiring Isaiah Thomas was the iceberg, and the Knicks were the Titanic. Listen, folks, if you didn't know what happened, you can watch the movie or watch the History Channel. I think you know what happens. And when you hired hire guys like Isaiah Thomas, who essentially now hold on, were now, you hiring hold on, guys? hold on, hold on. Now okay. I'm going to intervene because we're talking about some OG people. So are we talking about the little whiny crybaby bitch Isaiah Thomas that wouldn't shake Michael Jordan's hand after he straight clapped his cheeks, or are we talking about like the bad boy mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas that when he was on the top of the world still acted like a little bitch? Which one are we talking about? Well, you know, Chris, that's a very, very, that's a very keen observation. That's why you're the, that's why, that's why you're that's the why, guy. That's that's why, that's, that's why I'm the bad person. You're the good cop and I'm the bad cop of this program. Yeah, it's like if we were doing Law and Order, like folks, Chris is gonna throw the guy against the wall. I'll try to talk, and then at some point, I gotta throw the guy against the wall to say, Chris, yeah, it, it's a complicated. It'd be a great show. It'd be a great show. We gotta put it on Netflix for obvious reasons, but there will be wow. cursing and probably nudity, but. Oh. I'm talking about the Isaiah. T- <laughs> well, when you talk about the, which Isaiah Thomas it is, Chris, I I honestly say it's a combination of the two, and this is why. You know, Isaiah Thomas, I think had ex- there were excuses. 
and just like akin to Jordan, there was excuses like holding the saltiness and blase, blase, blase. But like the bad boy, I, I think the Knicks hired the bad boy Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas knows basketball. I'm not demagogue that he knows basketball. But Chris, what happens is just like I always say, just because you know how to do so doesn't mean you could be great at leading it. If that makes any sense at all. No, I, I, absolutely. Because- there, there are some people, and see, there's a stigmatism why people say that some of the best coaches were people that never played in their entire life. Uh, you know, prime example, Sean McVay. You know, the coach for he, the uh, for the Rams. Yeah, n- never played a day. You know, he played a little in high school. Yeah, but, which, yeah, which really doesn't count. You know, I'm talking like yeah, it doesn't. Um, yeah. You know, semi-pro, professional, whatever, whatever the organization right. is. If you're in the D League in the NBA, or in the NBA, or if you're doing Triple A ball, or playing for the MLB, or you're a D1 athlete at at a, at a prestigious university, making the jump into the NFL. You know, um, you know, so, so Pete Carroll. You know, I mean, you, you got guys like that, and then you know, then you get a few uh, rare gems like Aaron Boone, who have literally saved World Series championships. For teams that make hella coaches, you know, uh, you yeah. know, so you, you get the few that do it, but for the majority of it, yeah, the 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 thing is, is that you're gonna have these guys like Isaiah Thomas who come out and try to coach and not necessarily do too well. You know, as much as I respect and love Michael Jordan, uh, I mean, I, I got a I got a life size cardboard cutout autograph sitting right next to me of him, uh, you know. He's a he was a, the the best player of all time. I don't think he's quite front office material, and I think that's been proven through the course of his tenure. You know, and in, in, on the professional side of the NBA, you know, and then the same thing questions me with Derek Jeter, for example, is with Derek coming to Miami. I mean, the great thing is we end up with uh, with Stanton. You know, he was like our undercover agent there and got Stanton out of the Marlins and then sent him up to us. Um, but I wonder is is great of an athlete and a player and a field leader as he was when he played for the Yankees, winning multiple world series and all stars and MVPs and that, 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 how is he going to be in the front office? You're, you're leading from a very different uh, uh, approach. You know, I, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago on, on the program. I read uh, general Jim Mattis is the former secretary of defense and commandant in the Marine Corps. Uh, I read his book, call sign chaos and one of the the key things that he talks about in that book is it, it's it's a it's a biography, but also discusses leadership traits and tactics. And he discusses the leadership differences between being like a platoon officer or a company commander, where you're out with your troops kicking doors in and shooting bad guys. And as you climb through the ranks to be like a battalion commander, where instead of only worrying about 150 people, now you're worrying about 5,000 people. And then becoming an executive leader, like becoming, you know, getting stars pinned on your collar and becoming a a general and now leading an entire Marine Corps division or the eventuality, the entire Marine Corps or the entire Middle East Central Command of the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the National Guard, everyone that's in the Middle East, and just how you go about handling that, how you have to use significantly different tactics when you're when you're with your employees one on one compared to sitting behind a desk and you're issuing orders for thousands of people. And I think that applies a lot in in with this with Isaiah Thomas or Derek Jeter or whoever, is that how you lead your team from from the court 
or the field. I think it's differently behind when you're sitting in a, a mahogany desk smoking a cigar in a leather chair. Just my opinion. You, you know, what, what makes it right, Chris, is the thing is this, is that, is that you're absolutely right. Is that, as Chris, is when you do lead from certain positions, when you do lead from those positions, it's like, uh, I'll use an example. Uh, when you look at, I had the example, and now it, it went in my, it went off my head. That's not your fault. It's, it's, it's mine. But That's what happens at old age, we, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you look at certain coaches of success, like when you look at, look at Peyton Manning. Everybody wants Peyton Manning to be a coach because he was a great player and he played at a very cerebral position, the quarterback. But, but Chris, my biggest counter argument has always been to him. Even Chris, he turned down loads of money to be on Monday Night Football to be because he's a very smart guy. Like I think we both can agree that he's very cerebral. Uh, he's very smart. Absolutely. But I think Chris, what happens is, is, is that I think he fears the same things that you're talking about. It's a whole different ball game when you're being a leader in the huddle than being a leader on the sidelines or being a leader even in the booth. Because if you're the lead analyst, Chris, it's always on you. You 100%. have to be you have to be sharp. And some people and I'm not knocking like I say, going back to basketball, but it was great to have that conversation about leadership. Because what happened with the Knicks, Chris, is that listen, if I told you an organization hired Isaiah Thomas and Phil Jackson. You would think that organization would be somewhat successful based on name recognition. Absolutely. That, just, that immediately just a, sounds like a national title. Yeah, it, it sounds like, okay, the Knicks should be winning NBA titles left and right. It should sound that way. But what made, what happened, Chris, is that, and this leads more toward Phil Jackson, is the triangle offense. Nobody's knocking the triangle offense, Chris. It helped him win 11 titles. But in the modern in today's basketball, in the in the basketball you see today, kind of happened when Phil Jackson was in the was in the front office. It's like the triangle offense doesn't work anymore because of the because offenses are faster. the The triangle offense was a not say a slow offense. It worked in Chicago, and it even worked in L.A. But the game got faster. It's what I say about why certain people, coaches have shelf life, certain players have shelf life, and certain systems have shelf life. It's just that Phil Jackson's system had a shelf life because when you're in the front office, if Chris, you can't be in the front office and try to direct an offense and you're sitting in the booth in a, in a, in a suite. Like you can't leave the, the court from there or you might as well be the coach. But he didn't want to be the coach, Chris. He wanted to be the executive. He didn't want to be the guy who coaches them. He wanted to hire a guy to run his system. And that's like you never seen like we know we both love James Bond movies. If I'm not mistaken, we both love James Bond. Movies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. You never like you would see guys like, you know, have Goldfinger, have henchmen. Like, you know, you know, but you at, at the end of the day, Chris. Goldfinger was the one who pushed the button. Absolutely. Like, the, like, at the end of the day, Goldfinger, yeah, he was he calling the shots? 
Yes, but he knew to come down from that proverbial perch. And and and, and, yeah, and, and I, I, my job wasn't doing it, so he had to step down, had to do his thing. Correct. And and I think before I finish the point of the Knicks, I think that's what happened to the Knicks is that you had guys like Isaiah Thomas and Phil Jackson who were coaching from an old school position and not understanding the new school. And like Isaiah Thomas was still paying people. The Knicks were still paying people, and Isaiah Thomas was no longer working in that organization. That's how you know it's bad because, Chris, you're, when you get paid to essentially not be there, because I remember Isaiah Thomas gave Eddie Curry, great player, all this money that he had heart trouble. Oh, we'll give him 12. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Yet to still pay him, Shannon Anderson, Jalen Rowe. These dudes, I think they just got stopped getting paid fairly recently. But the point is, Chris, that's why I think about the Knicks is that it's a basketball mecca. The NBA wants you to succeed, Chris, but they're not going to keep giving you like, at some point. Like in L.A., like, listen, LeBron went to L.A. for different reasons. People, the reason why people don't want to go to New York, Chris, and you can agree, you don't know if you'll agree with this, is because of the organization. It's not because of the city. The city's fine. It's just that nowadays, Chris, that used to work. Like a, a player would come in, oh, I want to be in the big city, the nightlife. But now, Chris, you have players who are more focused on winning. They would rather go to organizations, say, like Houston. Yeah, they'll, or go, to chase, they'll go to chase championships. Yeah, they'll Which, go like even or even Golden State. Like they're willing to go to teams that are not necessarily major markets, but go to teams that have great and they'll take pay cuts. And I think at the end of the day, that's what today's basketball is all about. It's like, why do you see great teams coming out of everywhere? It's because you wouldn't see that like back in the 90s. You had like a handful of great teams. Well, you had the Bulls, you had the Bulls, you had the Sun, the Knicks. But Chris, the difference was, Chris, the organizations were run better then. They were more better quality teams in terms of executive wise than it is now, simply because you have different. Listen, I think it's agendas. I think that the players, the mindset's about winning. The players stayed back in the 90s, but they also stayed, Chris, because the organizations were pretty good. Like, I, I guarantee you, Chris, if a guy like Barkley, Barkley went to Barkley could have easily, if he wanted to, Chris, could have went to Chicago. Absolutely. He, but he wanted to go elsewhere because, you know, he wasn't chasing rings. He just wanted to, he wanted to be the guy. Back then, Chris, it was the old Ric Flair adage, to be the man and beat the man. You wanted to go somewhere, Chris, where you had to be the guy. You didn't want to be, like, basically, you want to be like Justin Timberlake. Like, you wanted to be in a group that, listen, you wanted to be the leader. Like, we know Justin Timberlake was the de facto leader of NSYNC. I hate to break people's hearts about that. Sorry about that. But everybody knew who was in charge of NSYNC, who was, you know, who was the, the more talented person. But, Chris, the thing is this. Even like in today's basketball, it's essentially the the one thing that I'm rambling, but I'm trying to get to the point. The point is, because I love basketball, the point is what separates the 90s from now is A, the way the game is played, and B, the player's mindset. Because you could not ask Barkley to join Jordan. You couldn't ask Magic. Magic at the tail end of his career could have easily went to Chicago. But he won. He won championships. He could have. He could have went to L.A. and you know, or Jordan. There could have been recruiting going on back then. 
But, you know, look at the dream team. Like, imagine three of those guys on one team. I don't care which three you pick, except Christian Leitner. You can put any <laughs> three of yeah, any three of those guys on one team, Chris. But well, imagine, imagine if Barkley went to Utah. Think about that. Yeah, well, no, and that's and see, that's where where like I've lost the passion for uh, for basketball. You have so like like us growing up, for example, there were a lot of of great teams, not just good teams, but great teams. You had yeah. the Knicks, you had the Celtics, you had the Orlando Magic, you had the Chicago Bulls, you had the Seattle Supersonics, you had the Lakers, you had the Phoenix Suns, you had the San Antonio Spurs, you had the Utah Jazz. And what it was is exactly what you said. They played on the dream team for the Olympics to go win us a gold medal, but they had the loyalty to their program and they stuck with their program. John Stockton and Carl Malone went to the finals twice to go to go play Jordan. And they delivered. And oh excuse me, and Jordan delivered the L to them both times. Just like you said, Magic Johnson in the tail end of his career could have rode out and went to the Lakers. Isaiah Thomas could have been a little bitch and, and tried to get into a trade to go to Chicago. Um, you know, but modern basketball, I think the start of it was the early 2000s uh, Celtics. The Paul Pierce, the Kevin Garnett, you know, the, uh, assembling these super teams. And, uh, and, and what was the other? And Ray Allen, you know, and then the Heat, LeBron abandons his his hometown that he's just so prideful over abandons that town to chase a championship because he knew well, I, uh, go ahead. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off I'm, i mean you know this, no, this, is no, one of the fiery, this is one of the fiery shows we ever had it's good but and the thing he wouldn't talk he said he wouldn't talk about basketball folks that's how that's how semi-good i am you suck me but in. But I, I want to go back. I want to defend LeBron because I defended him when he left the first time. I think I wrote an article years ago, or I said it on this show. I defended LeBron leaving the first time for this for for two reasons. A that Cleveland organization was a wreck. LeBron was basically think of a house. LeBron was literally the piece that kept the house afloat, like. Essentially, if LeBron had left, it crumbled. And go look at those years when he wasn't there, Chris. They were lottery teams. They, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they were lottery teams when he left. And people are like, well, he abandoned. No, I would have left because they weren't listening to LeBron. LeBron was trying to tell them, hey, keep all the money. Get Go get me talent. Like, you're not going to win a championship with all due respect with Antoine Jameson and Shaq on the back end of, your, on the back of his career. I, like, listen, if it was Shaq from the 90s, sure. We're talking like Shaq, who, listen, man, had one too many uh, Shaq packs. But, you know, he could probably score like a bug. But, listen, he'll, he'll be fine. But the point is, is that they weren't listening to him. And you listen to the faces of your organization. It's just like, I'm going to use your boy Jeter. Jeter had a lot of say in that organization in New York. Why? He was the face and he was the leader. 
everybody listened and saw what Derek did. If Derek had a problem, which you, you really didn't see happen much, but he would go at that time to Steinbrenner, like the triumvirate, it would be Jeter, Torrey, and Steinbrenner, and they would figure it out. Like the best player on the team would, would go to him like, this is what we need to win. He wouldn't throw guys under the bus and say, you know, Knobloch's terrible. You know, he, you know he, he wouldn't go and say things like that. But he said, hey, this is what we got to do to win and be successful. LeBron was trying to do that at Cleveland, a younger LeBron at that. And they weren't listening. My biggest, and, I, I, and the second point, Chris, is simply this. I don't blame LeBron because you want to be successful. Because I have, and LeBron was the first player, in my opinion, to understand mobility. Like, Chris, you have people who stay in a company 40 years, and what do they have the show for? Like, they don't get promoted. Like, imagine, could, I'll put it this way. Could you imagine working the same position you are at in 10 years? Like, the same position. All right, so you, you make you make a valid point with that. No, uh, I would go somewhere where I can excel. And so, so the, but... That's the difference between uh, like a regular career and playing a sport for a career. And that's that's fair. That's fair. And and see the thing with LeBron. See the thing is, is if you're a leader, Jordan was a leader. Okay, Jordan had nobody. One of the first couple seasons when Jordan was there by himself, it was like him and like like uh, what's his face, Drew Cartwright or whatever, like the center. That was like the only and B.J. Armstrong and Armstrong really wasn't even that good. I mean, he was he was good, but he wasn't like he wasn't like Dwayne Wade good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, Jordan stuck with the Bulls, though. He poured every ounce of his moral fiber and being to, to become the best. Now, granted, they did get some talent out of the draft by drafting. Uh, Scotty Pippen, you know that that was a huge help. You know they did get Steph Curry in the long run, and, you know, and 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 you know players like that. But the thing was is that Jordan stuck. He Chicago was was his proverbial home. Did he grow up there? Absolutely not. He was New York born, North Carolina raised in Chicago by basketball. But Jordan stuck with the Bulls through the bad times. And and he then he became great, and then he went and got his championships. He didn't leave town to go play with arguably the two, three best players in the entire Eastern Conference to go nab a couple championships, to go run back home to like some pomp and circumstance, you know, celebration. And granted, he did win himself an, uh, uh, an NBA title there, so credit is given where credit is due. But the first chance he got out when he saw the talent was declining, he pulled an Urban Meyer, packed up, and got the hell out of Dodge. And now he's in uh, in the Lakers. And, you know, do I agree with it? No. Do I understand at this point in the game? He's probably – he's got his titles. And, and like, But like you said, it's the difference in culture is that there used to be loyalty to your team, good or bad. When the when the, the the Phoenix Suns were garbage, Charles Barkley was still there. When the Utah Jazz were garbage, Malone and and, uh, and Stockton were still there. When uh, the Knicks were good and bad, Patrick Ewing was there. You know, Chauncey Billups yeah. was there. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's that's my beef with LeBron is as soon as things get ugly, Osterman sometime. Yeah, and 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 I'll just I'm not going to disagree. You made a very a lot of very valid points, but with Barkley, Barkley was drafted by the Sixers, and at some point, Chris, he got tired with the way the organization. He got traded to Phoenix. He left for Phoenix. But the problem is, is that you can his why I defend LeBron. Like I'm not going to say that LeBron is a need defending. I defend LeBron. LeBron didn't leave because the team was bad because he was the team. Chris, I argue the year they played the Spurs in the finals, Chris, that was probably the worst roster outside of LeBron I've ever seen. And LeBron and I and I, I remember a year when I was a teenager. I told my dad, oh, they're going to get swept. My dad said, oh, you, you sure about that? And what happened, Chris? They got swept. Because if, if teenager me saw that, then an adult saw the same thing. My point is LeBron left because he got frustrated. In a way, he it was relatable to Charles Barkley. Because when you're the face of the franchise, Chris, you're asking people to bring pieces around you. LeBron was still a rookie. He wasn't taking a whole lot of money, Chris. And also... Cleveland is not a selling point for free agency. Like, name one big free agent the Cleveland Cavaliers ever signed. No, hey, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. You know, two, two points, Gryffindor. Yeah, and, and I'm like, I defended LeBron in that. I'm like, who could you possibly get to come play with you? Like, at the end of the day, he realized that, listen, it's not like the, the NFL – I mean, New England, you know, you're up north. The, you know, the winters there are terrible. God, they but, are. But teams wanted to play in New England because of the structure. Here, for the NBA, listen, it's about location matters and organization running it matters. And, Chris, listen, as bad as – I put it this way. San Antonio Spurs are able to somehow win basketball games, and they got – I, they're one of their, the biggest fringe they had in years was LaMarcus Aldridge. The reason why La, LaMarcus Aldridge for the Rick Chris, he passed on the Lakers. You, you know, when the late great Kobe Bryant was there, Chris, they didn't even ask Kobe to be in the meeting. And I'm like, listen, you're telling me that the Lakers did not have Kobe be there. And it's not Kobe's fault. Let's be clear, Chris. It's the organization's fault. You should have all the key players there. But they thought because it was L.A., they laxed on. Like, Chris, if you think it's like the tortoise and the hare. The the hare thought he had it, Chris. Why? He thought he was fast. He thought, hey, in a race, speed matters. I don't care how high, you know, how high you jump. I just got to outrun him. But So the hare took a break. The Lakers were the hare. They thought that we were going to completely get LaMarcus because it's L.A. And when LaMarcus said, gave the proverbial middle finger to the Lakers, he went to San Antonio. Took less money, but he went. My whole point is, and my point is, is that LeBron's problem was he could not get anybody to come to Cleveland. You could have maybe got a superstar Cleveland in Cleveland, but Chris, when the city's not attractive, I'm not trying to, listen, I, I've been knocking Cleveland. I've been knocking Cleveland. I think I think I've been knocking Cleveland in football and everything. I'm not welcome there. So I gotta sneak in and sneak out of Cleveland. But but my point is, Chris, 
is, is that it's one thing if the city is average. But, Chris, if you don't have a great organization, it's not going to work. And I defended LeBron and saying he, he went to Miami. Did I like the way? I'll be honest, Chris. You remember that whole thing with the decision that was on ESPN? I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, like, I, oh yeah I do. Yeah, I'm like, like I, I wasn't a fan of that because of the pomp and circumstance. But I understood why he left. I understood why he left simply because, look, everybody, LeBron is easily a villain to some people. Because to this day, even though, and then guess what? He came back and won that city a championship. LeBron made it clear. He left. He didn't want to leave Cleveland. Like, Chris, you never want to leave your hometown. But if you feel your hometown is not conducive to what you want to do and to to your goals and aspirations, like you said, the difference between being in a company and between playing sports. So he felt it wasn't conducive for him. To be in the sport, maybe if he's in a, if he was like a CEO, if he was like an executive, he could have stayed, but he's a basketball player, and he left. But Chris, he always just like homeward bound, they he, they found he found his way back home, just like the cat, those two dogs and the cat did, he found his way back home. The reality is that I will defend LeBron James to the point where I understood why he left. I understood, I understood why he left Miami because Phil. Listen, there's only one guy who runs Miami, and that's Pat Riley. And I think I think LeBron wanted a little bit more than he could chew. He built a little more than he could chew from that point. And Pat Riley said, look, I love you, but I, I run the show. We won a championship before you got here. That's yeah. why you came here. So I think – so, and I understood why he went back to Cleveland. But look what happened when he went back, Chris. What happened? They went and traded for Kevin Love. They went back and traded for Kevin Love. They were, and Kyrie Irving was there. So my point is, is that Cleveland learned. It's why you see organizations today continue, like the Knicks. The Knicks have to understand is, is that why did Carmelo Anthony want out? It's simply this, Chris. He didn't have – like he had Porzingis. And remember, I don't know if people remember that they they roasted Porzingis on Twitter. They roasted him on social media. Like, who is this guy? And then Porzingis ended up like, oh, this Porzingis guy is pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you watched, yeah, you may not have Latvia, you know, Latvia TV, be able to watch him play basketball. But the Knicks drafted him. The Knicks, Phil, that was one of the smart things Phil Jackson did do. So my point, and you know what? I'll talk about I'll talk about my NBA points next week. I want to finish up with this point. Is is that before we get on to ba- to baseball? Because this is a very good discussion we had here. Because I think Chris, we learned the importance of, you know, we learned how the NBA has expanded, not just in the way they play, but in the mindset. Loyalty mattered back then. I'm not saying loyalty doesn't matter today, but mobility. You want to go somewhere to be successful. And but when I hear guys like, and you brought up, it's funny you brought up Kevin Garnett and those guys, Chris, because Kevin Garnett was roasting LeBron about joining the Heat. And I'm like, sir, sir, you left Minnesota. Your Honor, I got nothing else to say. You won it out of Minnesota. You built the first super team. LeBron just followed what you did. So LeBron is more known for because, listen, that kind of team lasted a little bit longer 
Because that Celtics team for the record, Chris, they were built to win one championship. And how many championships did they win? One. The number after zero, not quite two, one. But the point is, Chris, is that the game has evolved in that capacity. And I will defend guys like LeBron because, listen, whether how, how we feel about him as a player, it's a whole different conversation. I, Me personally, I talked about it and said, listen, I don't necessarily think he's better than Jordan for a number of reasons. But what LeBron did, LeBron saw basketball as a business. Jordan did the same thing. The difference is, is that Jordan still made his money in Chicago. LeBron said, I can make more money elsewhere. He took advantage of the NBA rule, you know, with the cap space. Like LeBron James had never really signed a long-term deal. Go look up his contract. He never really – I think his longest-term deal when he was a rookie. He signed like two, maybe three-year deals. He's never signed like a big contract. I think – like L.A., I think it's like a five-year. I think it's the biggest contract he ever signed was at the back end of his career because guess what? He gets more money on the back end of his career. LeBron saw basketball as both a passion and a career, which you should. He's made a lot of money. He's invested a lot of money. But before we get on to another sport that makes a lot of money in you know, Major League Baseball, I'll, I'll say this. And this is a lesson for NBA players, and this is a lesson for, for business. And this is a lesson for business as well. I think, Chris, I think you and I can agree that when we when we think about the concept of you should always maximize your value in your career. I think we can both can I think we both can agree on that. Absolutely. And and I think that's what LeBron did. So LeBron left, but he didn't leave for money. Because if people look at that time, that article, if, if people look up articles at that time. Cleveland had the most money, and that rule still applied, where the team that you left had the opportunity to pay you the most money. So it wasn't about money, because LeBron knew he could make money when he got older. This is why I don't understand with people. I didn't mean to go on this old man rant. But people got to understand, appreciate the value of experience, please. Like, stop trying to go get, like, the youngest thing. Like I say about music, Chris, you hear, like, this mumble rap, because it's young, it's really hip, it's garbage. But kids love it, so we got to pay this money. Stop it. There's nothing wrong with Drake and Kendrick Lamar or, you know, or, you know, Jay-Z still. So my point is, is that to circle back to the music, just like in music or any other industry, LeBron understood experience when he got older. Because in Cleveland, he wasn't worried about money because he was going to make money more in his life. I tell young people this. I would tell young people this. You're going to make more money when you're older than when you're younger. I don't know if you agree with that. Or no, I, no I, you're going- where, like where I'm at right now in, in, in my professional career, I'm, I'm not where I was at 10 years ago when I first started this company or hell even five years ago or, uh, or two years ago when I'm, when I decided that it would be a brilliant fucking idea to move up here from Florida. Um, you know, with time, you know, there, there, there's this age-old thing where they say with with age comes wisdom, but with youth comes innovation. And uh, there, 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 there's truth to, to both sides of that coin, but sometimes you got to understand uh, where you sit in that pecking order. And sometimes you got to let the old man, like I, me and my, me and my boss actually, and it's so funny you actually bring this up. And I know we're going off on 
on a on a different uh, tangent here. Uh, I was I was talking with uh, with with my old boss today. Me and him are are very good friends. He's a mentor of mine. Um, and I, I mean, I literally talk to him a couple times a week at, on the low side. And I ran into a situation with with an employee of mine that it, the the roles were literally reversed. I was in my old boss's position talking to myself like eight nine years ago when I you know when I first started getting into this shit. And the things that I was saying were like, I mean, it, it was like if you would record my boss, my old boss, and put my voice to that recording, it's what I was saying, you know. I mean, fucking verbatim. And uh, because the dude was doing the same things that I, you know, that I did, that I thought I had a better way or, you know, this new innovative way and, you know, trying to buck the system. And it's the the irony of that loop. And now I'm sitting on the other side of the table, and now I'm with the experience versus the 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 young hotshot who thinks he has all the answers to God. And uh, you, you just you don't. You know, sometimes with youth does come innovation. You can get some great things. Sometimes you got to sit back and let the old people like me just just grab onto the wheel and steer you where you got to go. Yeah. And you know what, Chris, you know, I started, I don't think I talked about what I did for them. You know, I, I started a tutoring business eight years ago and I started, I was still in college and, and I had, I had a lot of amazing mentor. You know, I had mentor, I had a couple of mentors. And one of the things that I learned, like when I was tutoring, when I was tutoring, you know, I tutor all ages. But when I was tutoring in general, Chris, like anytime I tutor to this day, I reflect upon what my tutors always told me is that and one particular t- uh, mentor had told me is that, listen, you you can't help everybody. And, and it hit me like, well, you're supposed to be a tutor to help everybody. Right. But when I got older, Chris, and like I said, I'm in year eight. So when I got like year five, I understood what he was saying. Because, Chris, I will literally try to help anybody tutoring, whether they're math or, you know, any other general subject. But the reason why he said that, Chris, and it took me a while to figure it out, was that sometimes everybody doesn't need the help that you think they need. It is that I was thinking, Chris, I would just I would walk into a tutoring session when I first started out and just go. I would just start from like I would treat them like they were a toddler. And that was a mistake. Absolutely. And, and and then I said to myself, go back to what one of your mentors said. See where they are because you can't help everybody. Meaning that you can't help everybody because you don't know where they are. Because you assume. And Chris, like, you know, I'm like you, like, you're like, you know, you like you're thinking like, holy crap. Like, you don't think about it. And that's why I tell people the older you get, like I tell people, you know, youth is great for a lot of different reasons. Like physically could be great, but mentally it's, it's like a real pain because you're like your your frontal cortex, your frontal cortex, your prefrontal cortex is not developed to like your mid 20s. So so sometimes you don't fully get it then. But when you get older, you may have like a glass of wine or a nice, you know, bottle of beer. You're sitting back and you're thinking like, yeah, I get it. It'll take years for you to get it, like Chris, how you talked to your mentor and you understood the you like the mirror complex. You saw you and the other person you talked to, and sometimes you go, "Holy, you know," like in your head, you don't say it out loud for 
obvious reasons, but it hits you because everything when you have mentor or mentors, it's always important to have those. But it's important that you listen to every word because there's re- there's a reason why. And I'll say this, I'll say this before we move on. There's a reason why they're at where they at where they at now, and the reason why you're at where you're at now. If that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. There's a reason why certain people are up high, and some people are still kind of low in the middle, or in the or in the middle. Experience matters, and. And I'm glad we got on that NBA because only us, I think we're the only two people on the planet. We went from talking about basketball and we spiraled into life lessons. Like it was like a great TED talk. So I'll talk to people at TED talk to see what our fee is. You know, one of those great TED talks we do. <laughs> so I'm like, we just gave away free. We just gave away free lessons. Yeah. Like that's a free. That's that's the demo lesson. You want the real things. Chris has his people. I have my people. We have joint people together. We'll, we'll we'll get on, on a on a you know fiscal aspect. We'll get on the same page. Next but week speaking, we'll uh, we'll talk about entanglements. It, I'll let you talk about that. <laughs> I'll say, I, I, oh wait, Will Smith is not coming on next week. Ah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, because he heard last. Okay, gotcha. He heard last week what he said about. Okay, yeah. T- for the record, tell Will. Listen, I I um. Uh, well, he's gonna come at me because I put the anyway. But speaking of entanglements or non-entanglements, you know we're entangled in baseball right now, and and I and I want to start off like I said we always start off with your uh, with your with your uh, with your Yankees, and I want to talk about Aaron Judge, who I think in my opinion is the front runner. This guy's the front. This guy's the front runner for AL MVP, and I'll let I'll let you talk about your guy, the Judge. Listen, I uh, I've, I've had the chance to watch a lot of these uh, a lot of these games because they've been in market. Um, they play the Nats. They're they're considered where I live an in market team. They played the O's. I live less than an hour from Camden Yards, so again in market game. They played the Phillies. Again, I live thirty five minutes from Citizens Bank Park. Uh, they're of course going to nationally televise the Yankees and Sox because it's literally the biggest rivalry in professional sports, uh, and they have just just pecker smacked every damn team they played. I mean, pecker smacked, pecker smacked. I I, I, I got to get my dictionary for that later. Yeah, don't worry about it. I don't know if it'll work in Scrabble, but uh, uh, Urban Dictionary is probably in there. At least worth thirty points. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, right now they got they got the best winning percentage in all of baseball. They're eight and one with an eight eight nine winning percentage. Um, you know, the just the scary thing is is everybody is performing. It's just not one player. It's just not to everybody is contributing except for Gary Sanchez, and we'll we'll touch back on him. Um, the the pitching staff, uh, Tanaka, uh, Garrett Cole, I think was just that that the acquisition of him very well. I think definitely secured us a playoff spot, if not a World Series spot, in, in the the situation we're going right now. Um, 
And you just look at everybody that on the bat right now, um, you know, so number one, you know, the talk about judge six games in a row, this dude has blasted a home run. I mean, he's got 14 RBIs in, in nine games. So do the math on that. Um, you know, he's batting a three fourteen. Uh granted, you know, he is a little high on the strikeouts, so he's actually I wanna say second place on the team right now at strikeouts only to Gary Sanchez, which again, that's a whole other ball game that uh that we'll we'll talk about on another day or maybe later here. But Judge Judge looks like a different person in the batter's box than what he did last year and the year before. He looks number one incredibly comfortable he looks like he worked the biomechanics on a swing out see with him being taller he's got such a big batter's box because you got these little pricks in the mlb like jose altuve which is my size the guy's like five seven and you know it's like it's like me and you like i'm throwing you you know i'm pitching to you i got a significantly larger batter's box because you're sitting at what like six three six four yeah, six four. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron Judge has got another four inches on you. I mean, the, the he he's built like a goddamn uh, uh, tight end, you know. And then you got these little midgets like me that are actually allowed to play baseball. It's like the only sport we can get in besides like NASCAR and golf. Uh, but I mean, who watches that shit? Um, oh, you boy. know. <laughs> you know, but. He has this giant strike zone that two things happen. It can work to his advantage if he if he masters his trade, or if he doesn't, it can be used against him. And there's just a whole lot of room that a Rembrandt can get in there and just paint the corners, you know, and and just just be a real a real savage, you know, on the mound. Uh, fortunately for Judge, he has he just he looks healthier is one word. But just looks more fluid. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, you know, a baseball swing and a golf swing, it just they look fluid if you know what you're doing. And it's not like a choppy PlayStation Two video game with some shitty graphics, you know. And his swing is just, just it's it's a work of art. And then the other part of it is is these pitchers don't understand that with taller guys, you need to keep that ball up. You hit the belt line and below, he's going to put it in orbit. A, a couple of those balls, like we were talking about it in the in the pregame interview. That I mean, some of those these home runs he's hitting. I mean, Elon Musk might want to investigate it and use that as a propulsion system to put this Dragon spacecraft back in space again. I mean, it is just the exit velocity is just scary, and it's not only him. You know, you look at uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton. He's starting to wake up. Uh, Gio Urshela, I, I don't know if you saw it when he was playing uh, the Sox the other day. They and, and, and you know, the scary thing is also with the Yankees, so we'll, we'll jump back on Gio in a second, is their batting order. I don't care who you are as a pitcher, who you are as a skipper. I would not want to face the Yankees. You have guys that could lead off like Brett Gardner who can just hit these little bloopers in the left field and be on first base like a little speedy Gonzalez. And then you've got these heavy-handed guys like Aaron Hicks and Luke Voigt and DJ LeMayu and Giancarlo Stanton and Gio Orsella and Aaron Judge. <laughs> you know, normally you have like your death row uh, 
you know, like that that fourth and fifth, you know, bat and cleanup. Uh, death row is is any any part of the Yankees batting order. And to jump back onto Geo is that you know the other thing that you know the Red Sox were trying to play the game of load the bases and see if they can get force outs. You know, pick up a grounder, double play it off a second. And unfortunately, when you walk a couple power hitters like uh, like a Stanton or a Lemayhu or a, or a, a, a Voit, and then a Gio Urshela comes up and just puts an, a, a ball in the orbit with bases loaded, hitting a grand slam. You know, you're you're not thinking logically, and and I I don't think you know sometimes, and I think you can agree with me on this, Ladarius. Teams will play like like tactical baseball. You see Aaron Judge up, you might want to walk him because if he gets a hold of the ball, things may get ugly. And we saw that back in the day a lot. When uh, when, when Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa or uh, uh, Barry Bonds. Yeah, I was going to say Barry Bonds. is, is I mean to cut you off, but Barry Bonds is a great example. I would remember watching, and there'd be runners on base. There'll be they'll uh, there will be a runner, especially if a runner was on second and first base was open. The manager didn't take two seconds to figure out. He just puts up the four sign and just and just, and just take the four because and, and that's a great point you made because Barry Bonds I think really it really exemplified that. So I'll I'll let you uh, continue. Yeah on. no uh yeah no so you know and I think we might start seeing that with uh you know with Aaron Judge is that the the more fluid and comfortable and experience he gets under his belt, the scarier of a batter he's going to become for these, <laughs> these pitchers. And then it's, it's just the rest of the, cause you got all these young kids that we pulled up from the farm system and we're like, all right, Hey, you're, you're a Yankee now. You're it. it it's like the scene in, uh, uh, I think it was infinity war, the Avengers movie when Dr. Strange, Spider-Man and Iron Man were aboard, that creepy floating alien spaceship when they were going back to uh, Thanos' home world. And, like, Tony Stark just looked at, 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 you know, Peter Parker and just, like, tapped him on the shoulders, like, all right, you're an Avenger now. Like, like that's what it is, essentially what happened to a lot of these guys, like Voight and Urshela and all those guys. They just came up from AAA because we needed them, because we were just plagued with injuries or people retiring or trades and things like that. And we're like, all right, cool, you're a Yankee now. God bless you. Um, but I mean, they're, they're playing some ball. Um, you know, I mean, I definitely think that with the, the two team playoff system from each division, I'm not a fan of it, but I'll accept it. I, I definitely think, and I, I'm, I'm speaking early, I know, but I definitely think that the Yankees are off to a great start. And if they can continue to play like this, it's it's a it's a scary time for for the AL and, and an even scarier time for the NL, you know. Um, you know some other teams that have been playing some good ball. You know the Twins, like normal, play a good regular season, get into the postseason and shit the bed. Uh, you know the Athletics are uh, you know leading the AL West right now. Um, Astros aren't doing too hot since you know they don't know what the pitch is coming to them now. I have enjoyed watching those boys get pelted by balls. That does bring a little bit of warmth and satisfaction into my heart, uh, <laughs> even though it shouldn't, but well, I'm that guy, uh, you know, your cubbies are tearing it up. They're eight and two right now in the NL central. Oh, um, yeah. you know, and then the NL West, 
you know, we got some surprises out here with the Rockies at, at, at the lead right now. They're seven and two compared to the Dodgers are uh, seven and four. You know, maybe there's a little bit of trouble in Dodger Town there. Uh, and then the irony of all of this is the NL East with the surprising current leader of the uh, Miami Marlins right now at a whole two and one, but because their winning percentage is a six six seven, <laughs> they're on. They're on top of the leaderboards. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Too funny. I know. Too funny. Um, you know, and then the Braves are, you know, like the technical division leaders right now at 7-4. But I think that just came to a crashing halt. I did see today that one of their pitchers was down for the count. He tore his Achilles tendon, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 Mike Soraka. Yeah. Um. And I don't know with the 60-game season how many teams are going to be willing to play the trade game. So, uh, especially with the uncertainty of this season and next season and, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on on baseball right now is this with J- Gary Sanchez. Um, I don't know where he's at right now, but he is definitely not playing good baseball right now uh behind the plate he looks different they worked on a different stance for him by by having him ground a knee which i'm personally and i think we talked about this i'm not a big fan of a catcher grounding a knee because i think it he loses mobilization especially if he's got to take a pitch jump up and gun one to second that, that's an extra step that you're going to have to take that when you got a guy hauling ass from first to second yeah you don't have a second to waste you know you know um I don't know what's going on with that, uh, but, you know, also the other thing is, you know, his batting average right now is just, he's not even batting a 100. <laughs> you know, that's 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 scary. Um, I, I want to say right now he's, like I said, he's leading with 14 strikeouts. Um, he's got 25 at-bats and two hits, you know, with the... You know, I, he knocked one double and uh, and I think one one triple or something like that or, or a single or I don't remember. I had my notes and I don't know where they're at right now. But Sanchez definitely needs to wake up in the box, maybe uh, go to the batting cages with uh, with Stanton and uh, and Judge and while well, the rest of the team that's actually hitting, you know. And uh, let's let's see what happens. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at the. Uh, you know, the batting averages right here. You got guys, you know, 314, 300, 296, 412, 231, 333, 333. And then you've got a couple guys batting in the high ones, like 182, 175. And then you've got Sanchez at a .08. Now, this would be good if he was doing a DUI test because he would definitely not pass because .08 and above is the legal limit. So all of the other people in the organization, if this is a DUI test, would be shit out of luck. But um, I think that Gary Sanchez might be a little confused and might need to get his numbers reworked out. So that's my speech on that. I know you wanted to touch on a couple of things. I'm going to let you take the floor. Thank you, Senator Gooden. And, um, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, to touch on a few points, I, I think I, I want to go back and talk about Gary Cole because you know I love pitching. You know what? You know my love for quarterbacks—the same love I have for pitching. 
you know, Garrett Cole, listen, night he has 19 straight wins and 25 regular season starts. Yeah, this he has a 1.86 ERA in that stretch. When you look at guys like Garrett Cole, and I, I use the I talk about this in the meeting, the the boy band theory that I have. Listen, it's no theory of relativity or Newton's law of motion. If it gets published, that's great. But my theory is always this: if you look at the way of the construction of a boy band, you always build your boy band around one person who can actually sing, who act like like the lead singer. So think of this as a pitching rotation. Your ace is your lead singer, and if you have a pretty good lead singer, your your band's gonna your the group's gonna be very successful. So Garrett Cole to me is the Justin Timberlake of this of that rotation, and you know Tanaka Montgomery, you know they're kind of like the, the Fatone, and they're kind of like the background. They're kind of like the background. My okay. whole thing are you calling that, them backup dancers? Listen, I didn't say that. You said that. So, <laughs> so let it be known that I didn't say it. The recording says that you said it. But, but that's my theory. It, it, the boy band theory is that you always build it around one person who actually knows how to sing. Timberlake was that guy. Like the the, the exception to the rule is like One Direction because every one of those dudes can sing. Like every one of those dudes can sing. But like back in the early nineties when we grew up. Like we knew who the best guys were vocally on in certain groups. It's like it's not like you know, like your Metallica where you knew the lead singer was, or when you look at like Nirvana with Kurt Cobain with the lead singer. Like it, 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 you you know, it's not constructed that way because there's an obvious front man. You know, real but quick, book, real quick, if I can intervene, Ladarius. So I was actually reading, sure. a, I was actually reading a fun fact about Kurt Cobain the other day. Uh-huh. And uh, th- did you know that he was an avid football fan? I did not. You know what his actual favorite offensive formation was? I don't know. It was the shotgun. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I'm going to hell. Please carry on. There's a part of me that it, there was a part of me that said it was going to be that. I was going to say the wishbone, but you know, to 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 save decency on the show. But I lost that decency about, you know, half an hour ago. But Jesus, uh, we'll be right back. No, <laughs> going back to my point about boy bands, it's just that you know the one like your who your top pitchers. That's your race. That's the guy who's going to lead you. So they're kind of like the bellwether of where it goes. Like everybody else, like if you have two good, like listen, two good singers, that's great. But if you have guys who are just like above average, that's great. The boy band theory works because, listen, you're not asking all five to sing. It wasn't like the Backstreet Boys, where like everybody could sing, Chris. But it was essentially like if there's three good looking people, you couldn't tell them apart. That that's how I look at the. You know, I'm not trying to start a war, a a a, a, a music war, oh, but that's fuck. how I felt about the Backstreet. Like, well, I feel like you might. It's like I. Yeah, well, give me no work than what you did. So <laughs> we might, we might, we, well, you'll be in a different part of the section. I'll just be in the one like in purgatory. But, but my thing is, is that when you know, when you have that one person who can really sing well, and then you have the other ones who like, like they're very good. But that's how I think that's how b- pitching has always been. Is where, like, listen, you have five guys in a rotation. You don't need all five aces. 
Like you don't need like, you know, a coal, a Verlander, and a Grinky like the Astros had. You don't you know, that's what we like to call a rarity. But if you have one guy like Garrett Cole is the Justin Timberlake, he can lead. Everybody else can kind of just, you know, fall in line. And people are like, oh, there's, you know, like, well, well, if, if you think about it, think about it. I'm like, who else could sing in that group besides Timberlake? And and, and I'm not trying to be funny or trying to knock, you know, I'm not trying to knock, you know, everybody else in sync. I'm not trying to knock Lance Bass or Joy Fatone or anybody like that. Well, maybe I am. But, or, you know, J.C. Chazé. Who can sing? He's probably the second best singer in the group. Chazé can sing. You know, and Christian Patrick, I don't know that guy. But the point is, if you think of it this way, I'll put it in this form before I get off my tangent. Look at Timberlake. If you're for the Yankees, Timberlake is Garrett Cole. Who would you think is the second best pitcher in the rotation? Maybe Tanaka, the second best pitcher in the rotation? For the yeah, yeah, Tanaka. I would say uh, Garrett Cole, Tanaka, Severino, uh, if he was if he was at health, and then uh, probably Paxton. So, and, and when I look at Paxton, Paxton gives me the vibes of kind of a, like a Lance Bass, where people like we know Lance Bass is talented, but other people may not know Lance Bass is talented. I think I think if you're, I put it this way. If you're a hardcore music guy, you know Lance Bass is talented. But anywhere outside that area, you may be like, oh, who the, you know, who's who's Lance Bass? That's how James Paxton is. Like, and I think with Tanaka, Tanaka's JC Saze and several, you know, I I don't know how we got in this rabbit hole, but that's why we saw this episode was like, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum go down a sports rabbit hole. Because that's essentially what we did in this episode. We went down a very, very steep rabbit hole today. And and you know, before we wrap up, there'll be an article out from the from the podcast. I'm going to talk about the the Pac-12 athletes and its impact on on college sports because I think that's an important thing to talk about. Because I'm not going to say we went over we went over time for good reasons. Because a we talked about leadership. I mean, we I, and I'm not bragging, Chris. Like I'm not trying to be humble bragging to both of us, but we talked about a lot of good stuff today. Yeah, yeah, you know, there, I, there's, there's definitely a. Some achievements made here. Yeah, you know the, the whole shotgun thing. I'll leave that to you, the you, the <laughs> listener. That's you, the listener. Listen, I I lobbied for him to say the I formation, and he just went shotgun. Mm-hmm. And in the back of my head, it, it, true fact, before we wrap up, in the back of my head, I said, "Wait, f- formations." And I said, "Oh no, he died by shotgun." I'm like, uh, "I hope that's not the answer." I didn't want to be the one to say it. I actually I'll, made that I'll, whole thing up. I, you said Kurt Cobain. I literally made that <laughs> up on the fly. I, I mean, that's how. Listen, we don't have scripts here. Like, if, if we had a script, could so you fun. imagine how? So I mean, boring. it's like we had a script. You're like, ah, we'll be right back with you. Know, like, you know, yeah, we may need cue cards. Like, if we, if we, I think if we start, you know, get like a producer in here. We're gonna definitely need cue cards because we're gonna be off kilter. But, <laughs> but. But before we wrap up this episode, just a reminder, you can listen to this episode and every episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever your podcast can be heard. Just type in sports and the world, ampersand for the word and. And also, you can check us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sports the world and join our Facebook group there. And also, 
on both Facebook and excuse me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Sports the World. That's at Sports the World. And check out and check out the website at SportsInTheWorld1.com. That's SportsInTheWorld1.com. And that's all for this week. Down the once again, the television episode is going to probably be Tweedledee and Tweedledum go down a sports rabbit hole. I think that I think that's a fair because we went down a rabbit hole. We went from LeBron to leadership. Somehow we snuck in boy bands. We snuck in some nostalgia. So we went down a rabbit hole. I mean, I always say this. You can always get to a restaurant two different ways. I always say that. You, you, you can always take the you can take, you know, the free you, know, you can take, you know, the straight way there, you know, the conventional Google map way. Or you can take the old, you know, Atlas way. And I think that's what we did. But we got there. We got to the restaurant on time and everybody is satisfied. I think everyone got there full of, you know, they got their main course, the appetizer and the dessert. What the dessert is, you know, probably me just be pie, but, you know, or cake, not the whole cake. Who am I talking about? It is the whole cake. But the, but we got there. And at the end of the but, day, it's all that matters. Exactly. Anything else, anything else left to say, my man? Nah, man. Uh, stop rioting. Uh, stop doing stupid shit. Um, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Uh don't shop at Wayfair because if you buy something from Wayfair, there's a good possibility that I might be popping out of your cabinet with two Glock 19s and a handful of flashbangs ready to bring the hate to a bunch of pedophiles. Uh, pedophilia is not a sexual orientation. It is a mental disease that needs to be cured with hollow point rounds. And uh, that's my soapbox. Yeah. You know, to be fair, yeah. Like how how big is your soapbox? I'm just curious for the for the listeners. Well, I mean, you know, I'm uh I'm I'm five seven on a great day. Um, so to, to for most people to actually see me, it's 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 a big soapbox. I got like it's it's kind of like watching uh, mini me like trying to get in the chair. You got to have like a ladder to get into the chair from uh, Austin Powers. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's essentially what my life is like all all the way around. It's that's not fun. Well, but one of these the days thing is, yeah, though is yeah. I do fit comfortable in. The few times that I have to be a basic bitch and fly coach, uh, I do fit incredibly well in coach. I do fit incredibly well in in aggressive sports cars. And, yeah, my feet don't hang off the bed. So the the, the night zombies can't uh, drag me to the underworld and grab my feet. That's a constant fear of mine. It is. I saw them on Aliens, man. It's a real thing. <laughs> Fuck this! All right, we're done. We're done. Just... Yeah, well, let me let me let me wrap it up for the for the sake of the people. Until until you hear us again, I'm Lanieri and I'm Chris. Be real, be you, and be blessed from all of us here from the Sports and the World podcast. <laughs> yeah, you knew I was gonna hit the boy band music on the way out. Uh, I love it. See ya, everybody. See ya.